Thanks, Phil. We, uh, we are so blessed this morning to uh, be able to celebrate new life. And thanks, Phil. He just brought me a chair. <laughs> celebrate new life, celebrate mothers, but uh, also celebrate what Christ is doing in our midst. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. Yeah. As you were coming into the church, I hope that uh, you were blessed to be able to see all the different decorations. I know we've mentioned that. Um, but it's not just that they would allow just any old guys to put that together. You know that this morning we had moms here putting together things for moms. And in particular, I, I would love for you to just give a, a thank you to uh, Connie Libby and Megan Simnitz who were here early putting all of that together. So... We're uh, also this morning, in the middle of all of these other moving parts, we are wrapping up our study of the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24, the final verses, Luke chapter 24, 36 through the end. This has been a, uh, a study that also talks about new life. The transformation from an old way of life under the old covenant and rules and expectations to the time of grace under Christ. Because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we are free. Aren't you thankful for that? There is uh, something I want you to consider, though. It's one thing to know the truth. It's another thing to test your response. How you respond to the truth is important. There are many different kinds of truth. There is a truth that informs you, gives you a little bit more information. You can find out why the sky is blue. That doesn't necessarily transform your day, but it does give you more information to operate in your world. There's also truth that supports your life. You can find out things that will add to your health or find out things that will add to your ability to get through uh, each week or to run a business or to run your family, whatever that is. There are truths that support your life. But I want you to think for a moment about truth that changes your life. Moms, uh, because it's Mother's Day, I wanted you to think about this in particular. Think about the response that others had to your baby announcement. When that first one was brought into the home, how did people respond? It is possible that the responses could have been sweet. They could have been cute. I'm going to be a big brother. That's a sweet little boy. It's possible that the response also, though, could have been mixed. We have the pumpkin patch. <laughs> a tiny bit of anger face there going on. It's also possible, though, that the response was just flat-out irritation. <laughs> but the response most of you probably experienced in one quarter or another was elation, <laughs> thankfulness over the information they had just received. I want you to think about this. This is super important. A reaction does not determine whether something is true. It only reveals your receptivity of the truth. A reaction does not reveal whether something is true. It only reveals your reaction to that truth. This is what we're going to look at in these final moments. There are many different reactions to the truth of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, even from his own men, even from people who saw him face to face. There were questions or concerns, and we watch how Christ walks them through that. 
Let's stand as we read this passage together. And it says, and while they were telling these things, that is the road to Emmaus story, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see, for the spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it, because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all of the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And after they worshiped him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising God. Do you believe that happened? Yes. It did. You may be seated. Father, as we consider this morning these truths, as we take a look at uh, what your scripture says, I pray that you will help us to be able to not only hear these words, but think about our response as well. What is it that you have done in our life? How have we responded to the truth? How have, has our receptivity been on display? And help us, Father, to be among those who with great praising and great rejoicing run and tell others the good news of Christ. Help us to understand that this morning in Christ's name. Amen. In your notes it says, uh, and this is from Dr. Lutzer, um, who was just at our church a short while ago. In his book uh, it says this, uh, a severe mercy, Sheldon Van Nauken talks about his first encounter with Christians. That night he wrote these words, the best arguments for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug and complacent concentration, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. Indeed, there are impressive indications that the positive quality of joy is in Christianity and possibly nowhere else. If that were certain, it would be a proof of a very high order. Many Christians are silent about their faith in Christ because they don't want to be known as a Bible thumper or to be branded as part of the religious rite. But the way to dispel such a stereotype is to share our faith with deep personal conviction along with a loving, caring attitude of sacrifice and helpfulness. Evangelism, someone has said, is one beggar telling another that we have found bread. Let us invite a hurting world to the table where we ourselves have found food for our weary souls. There we will find those whom God has already prepared for our witness. 
I'd like us to look at, uh, in just a few moments this morning, at five truths from this passage that will help us wrap up the book of Luke, uh, but also help us to understand how we are to respond to the good news of Christ. Five truths. The first thing that we see in this passage, and it's important when you're sharing the gospel, is that facts alone do not convince people. Facts alone do not convince people. God is the one who opens eyes. Notice uh, when you are reading this chapter, as you're going through there, and they're on the road to Emmaus, they're walking along with this guy, and he comes up alongside them. They're talking. Their hearts are burning within them. They're hearing his voice, and yet they're not recognizing him. It says that Christ had to open their eyes, or if there was a moment where they break bread and their eyes are opened. It starts with open eyes, but then... He stirs their hearts. He says, remember, our hearts were burning within us while we were on the road. And then also when he shows up among them, he tells them of uh, his presence by eating a meal with them. And their hearts are once again stirred. He opens their eyes. He stirs their hearts. And then he opens their minds. He gave them, a, or they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it before them. He said, these are my words which I have spoken to you. And he gives them the goods once again. In verse 45, then he opened their minds. They see him. They've heard from him. They heard the scriptures. They knew the truth and still couldn't get their head around it. Do you know that that's many of our experience? How many here have struggled with truths that are obvious on the page and that meet reality face to face? The, the truth about Christ is the truth for this day. You don't have to change it or shape it up for a scientific age. Do you know that? It is a truth that's just as real then, just as real today. You don't have to transform it. And yet sometimes we can't get our minds wrapped around it until God opens our eyes. Sometimes our hearts and our minds need help. 2011, a guy by the name of Dr. Prana uh, Sinha answered a 400-year-old philosophy question. A philosopher by the name of William Moyolno uh, had a wife who was blind. And he asked a question, if that blindness that she had from birth were to be reversed, would somebody who had been blind from the time that they were little be able to identify the difference between a sphere or a square by sight alone. And there were people for 400 years that lined up on either side of the equation. Yes, they would be able to do that. Instantly it would be available because of their recognition of the world around them and others who said no. They've lived their entire life by feeling. They would not be able to tell the difference of a sphere and a square unless seeing it, they also touched it. Their minds would not be able to comprehend it. Well, finally, uh, Sinha was able to do a surgery and reverse blindness that had been congenital from birth. This one child had not been able to see. He's now done this surgery over and over and over again. And he says, in our studies, what we have found out is that just reversing blindness is not enough. The brain, the brain does not understand what it is that it is seeing. It doesn't understand glass. It doesn't understand unless they close their eyes and they can hear the sound of the door or they can touch a sphere or a square uh, they did the test over and over again where they actually took a sphere and a square and they put it in front of an individual in periodic times and they would look at it and not be able to comprehend it until they touched it with their fingers and say, oh, that's a ball. Oh, that's a cube. Their brains could not wrap their mind around it. What is it with the spiritual reality? Do you know that you can have the truth sitting right in front of you? And unless the Spirit of God touches your brain, 
your spiritual heart, you won't comprehend it. Facts alone don't convince people. God is involved in every step. If you believe today, it's because the Spirit of God has touched your heart, opened your eyes, and you responded. But secondly, the gospel proclamation is not what we do for God. It is what God does through us. It says now in verse 44, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer, rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins uh, would be proclaimed in his name to all of the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now, in some of your Bibles, you will actually see as you are looking at that, that it says that, um, that the Christ should be or that he must be. And some people have actually preached that as a result of this knowledge, it is on you. You have to go and do this. And they sign you up like they're signing you up for a sales club. All right? Do you know that it is not on you to run out there and sell the gospel? This is not God's pyramid scheme that you are a part of this morning. Do you know that? You haven't joined some big sales uh, propaganda thing. What it says here is something that's important. This infinitive form is the exact same uh, as is stated just a few verses earlier when it says uh, that all that's written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled and that the Christ would or literally must suffer and rise again from the dead and then you must evangelize. We can't take those first two and say, well, God was in it and God took care of it all. And the last one and say, it's all up to me. It's not up to us. It's up to us to yield, but the Spirit of God works through us. Did you know that it was never in doubt that the Christ was going to come, die, be buried, and rise again on the third day? That was always God's plan. Do you know that? And who got it done? God did it. Yeah, that was weak. Let me just remember... At church, the answer is always, if we're shouting it out, God or Jesus. you got a 50% chance of getting this right, okay? (laughs) Christ was always going to come, die, be buried, and rise again on the third day. And who was going to get it done? Good job. Quick study. (laughs) But now we have this statement where it says, and that Christ must be preached. God is still in the process of evangelizing. What he is looking for are not people, he's not up in heaven wringing his hands saying, oh man, I really hope this happens. I mean, I said it was important, but I don't know if they really get it. He's not up there saying, oh, I don't know if this is going to work out. I left it in the hands of those disciples, those guys, you know, you met them. (laughs) He's not doing any of that. You know what he's saying? I'm just looking for willing hearts. I'm going to impact the world. I'm going to make sure the message gets out there. I'm just looking for willing hearts. Are you going to join me in what I already am doing? He wants to work through you. If the gospel goes forward through you, it's not because of your great ability or your great boldness or your great declarations. It's because God is great and he's chosen to use weak vessels. Amen? Amen. He's going to get it done. Dr. Lutzer and uh, Pete were having a conversation on their way after he spoke. Uh, They were headed to the coast and uh, Pete was taking him to his next location. And during that conversation, Dr. Lutzer was talking about his, his father who was German who had struggled all of his life because... Uh, He he was bothered that he did not learn English well enough. He said, I wish I could have done more for the kingdom. And yet, Luther was saying as he was speaking to Pete, he said, and yet he, he didn't understand that in his home were raised missionaries and a pastor who have had the opportunity to impact the world. 
He was faithful and did what he was called to do, and God has used us in our faithfulness to do what we are called to do. God was the one that gets the glory and actually has done an amazing thing through that family. He said, if only my father would have understood uh, what it was that God has actually accomplished, uh, how much evangelism has actually gone out from a home that was godly. God chooses to use whom he does, when he does, the way that he wants. We just need to be faithful. Amen? Amen? Third thing I want you to see in this passage is that we need to be careful not to move before the Spirit moves. He says, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all of the nations beginning from Jerusalem. So now they're near Jerusalem. What do you think they want to do? Well, let's go, Right? I, you can almost see Peter. As soon as he sees Jesus, he's jumping out of the boat. He probably had his gear on, and he's ready like, okay, man, I got my running sandals. I'm ready to get out of here. <laughs> but he doesn't do that. He says, but you wait until you are clothed with power from on high. Wait until my Father sends the Holy Spirit and you are energized properly. Do you know how many ministries start off with good people, great plans? They got an awesome business plan. They got people that have all kinds of mechanical ability or structural ability. They can take care of any problem. And they begin to do things and make a mess. How many times do we charge out and how many ministries have gone out in front of God? They've not waited for the Spirit of God to move them. They've thought we've got the structure and the ability and we run out instead of God and ask when the mess arrives, for God to bless it. Wait for the Spirit of God. There's a group of pastors in town, and people have been asking for us to do another gathering, but one of the things that we're convinced of is that we're not to do anything that would bring glory to us or an individual church. We are to do something only after the Spirit of God releases us to make the next move. Some people get frustrated with that, right? We're in the age where you got to move. If you, if you don't do this soon enough, you're going to lose your credibility. Well, not if God's in the middle of it. You want to know what sparks a revival? One person repenting. And it hits a flame and it lights the whole place on fire. Let's wait until the Spirit of God lights the spark and everything will burst into a flame at just the right time. Amen? It'll happen. Be careful not to move before the Spirit. Fourth thing we see in this passage Transformation hits home first. He led them out to Bethany and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they were worshiping him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple. They ran home and their praise and their blessing and their excitement spilled out to everybody that was there. This book ends where it began. Remember, at the very beginning of this book, the scene comes up and everybody has been working through the sacrificial system. They're in the temple day after day. Incense is being burnt. Animals are being slaughtered. And there is one lonely, broken-down priest. We see him as the lot is drawn, and he is asked to go in during the time of the burning of incense, which is a picture of prayer. And here is this little, poor priest. He's overwhelmed. The people are continually bothered. The, the process is never ending. And it seems like prayers, the very thing he's supposed to picture, his prayers have not been answered. He doesn't have a child in his home, and they're too old to have kids. And he is met at the temple by an angel who says, your prayers have been answered. We don't know how long ago that prayer had died. We don't know how many years before they had quit praying in their home. 
But God knew the right time to answer the prayer. And the entire rest of the book starts there. God answers prayers when it seems like it's impossible, right? And we come to the very end of the book, and the impossible has once again happened. Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. And where do they go? They run back to that dusty old temple with a torn curtain and everybody overwhelmed because the sacrificial system won't work with all the things that are broken down as a result of resurrection day. Everything has transformed. And they run back praising God saying, we got the answer. Don't stitch up that veil. Don't run in there with more blood. The incense is no longer necessary. Jesus is here. And he has commissioned us to tell you. He run, they run home first and everyone can see the transformation. These were a bunch of bonehead fishermen, okay? And now they have truths that transform, and it is evident that their lives are radically different, and they're running around with joy. How can I have that kind of joy? That's the question. The transformation hits home first. Final thing that we see in this passage is that witnessing the activity of God should bring praise. I want you just to reflect back to the beginning of this service where all of a sudden we see people baptized. What's going on in your heart when you see that? How awesome is that? We see people who gave their life to Christ coming from different walks, different backgrounds, same Savior, same joy, same excitement to see him face to face. God is in the story, and we ought to be shouting praise to him as a result. They returned, it says, with great joy, and they were continually, that means without end, all the time, they go to bed praising God, they wake up praising God. You ever meet somebody like that? It seems like you can't knock the smile off their face. They crash. They're still praising God that they're alive, right? These are the kinds of people, and they were always about it, always praising, always filled with joy, so much so eventually in Jerusalem, they're like, enough, get out. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, they run them out into the world, and they kept praising God wherever they went. The evangelism went out with hearts that were full. We ought to praise God if we've been transformed. Amen. There's excitement over a new reality, the new reality of Christ, and that changes everything. But the other thing is that there is an excitement over the future day when we will meet them face to face. If we come back to Mother's Day and try to tie all this together, do you remember the excitement when you were going to tell people about your firstborn? I can remember when uh, Brendan was uh, still just cooking. And we were so excited to tell everybody uh, the news. We waited the appropriate amount of time, but we went down to the doctors, and that was the time when you could bring a VHS tape. Does anybody remember this? It's before the 3D, 3D pictures. So you could bring a VHS tape, and they would show you this. It's like old black and white grainy videos, right? There's something wiggling around inside there that's not guts. <laughs> and we took a picture of it. And there's even a movement that he had with his head that he still does even to this day when he's tired, a little wiggle with his chin that was evident in the womb. How awesome was that? There was a brand new reality, and it was changing our lives. There's a bedroom that's designated just for him that was there and waiting. There was wallpaper that was on the wall all the way till our third child peeled it off. <laughs> new paint, new colors, a new uh, arrangement in the car. Everything was different, but yet we did not see him face to face. Why? Because there was still a day coming when we would see him face to face and that relationship would be to the full. Do you know that's what they're proclaiming here? 
the Spirit of God given as a down payment, a proclamation that what is growing in you right now because of the Spirit of God will someday be face to face. We will see him. Amen? That is the promise, and this book launches us into that reality. I'm going to ask the men to come and AJ to come back up to the stage right now because this morning we're going to wrap up with the Lord's Supper. We're going to wrap up with a reminder that not only marries those two pictures together, but it calls all of us to do this as family. It reminds us of the relationship that we have with Christ, but it also reminds us that someday he is coming again. We are going to see him face to face. As we get ready for these elements, uh, we introduced uh, just kind of an acronym here that uh, will help us, the idea of fire. Fire, the F in fire is a reminder of our faith. In taking these elements, you are making a declaration that you are a believer. If you are here today and you have not placed your faith in Christ, we would encourage you just to watch as other believers participate in this. Um, But believer, this is an opportunity for you to declare your faith. But it's not just your faith. It's also the I there is identity. You are identifying that you're part of the body of Christ. We do this corporately. We do this as a group to tell others that we are believers. It's not just an internal faith. It's an expressive faith. We also, the R in the word fire there is repentance. We take time right before this to pray to investigate our own hearts, and to repent. If there's anything between you and the Lord, you know you don't have to do any special process. You don't need a priest. There's nothing new. You just confess it and say, Lord, this is between you and I. Will you forgive me? Keep short accounts. Clean that up. And if there's anything that the Spirit of God lays on your heart that says you need to go make this right with a brother, do it today. Repent. And finally, it's eternity. In this set of elements is a reminder of the soon return of Christ. We are going to see him face to face and spend eternity with him. The men, when they come, are going to give you the bread and the cup at the exact same time. We will take the bread first. We'll read a little scripture, uh, and then we will take that together, and then we will take the cup and do the exact same. So I'm going to pray while I'm praying. If there's anything you need to repent between you and the Lord, you take care of that. And then the men will be here to serve those elements. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. And if there's anything you need to do between you and the Lord, do that now. Father God, we are so thankful as we read the end of the book of Luke and we see the excitement that they had and and all of this joy that was billowing out of them that not only impacted Jerusalem, but it would go all the way around the world. Father, that same spirit is in us. We thank you for that and we ask that you would once again stoke the fire of our faith, that we would be encouraged, challenged, blessed to share you, but in these moments also make us pure. Help us to repent, and if there's anything between us and you, Father, I pray that you would cleanse us as a people, personally, from the things that we have done. Help us as we take these elements to do them in a worthy fashion, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.